Welcome again. Really good to see you guys. Um, we're going to continue with our series that we started. We're about at the halfway point now, uh, talking about the Holy Spirit. So we've been looking at who is the Holy Spirit. We looked at uh, what is the Holy Spirit, is his role in our life. We looked at obstacles that prevent us from being able to see him and to receive from him. We talked about how to self put ourselves in a good position so that we can receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that we can receive from him. And then we talked about how the Holy Spirit is a spirit. We talked about that last week and how the Holy Spirit is not limited. He's not physical, that he is unlimited and that he has that ability to, to be that in our life. Well, today we want to continue with that, and we're going to look at um, one of the most common ways the Holy Spirit does speak to us. So this second half of the series, I want to get a little more practical. I want to talk about practical ways that we can engage and listen to the Holy Spirit. Okay, so uh, let's start by looking at this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, These are things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Who, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Verse 14, the, spirit, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Okay, so this is Paul talking about the message that he's delivering. Uh, and he's talking about how these things did not come from his own wisdom, did not come from his own trying, does not come from his own education, but they came from the Holy Spirit. He goes further to say, the things that you're reading and the things that we're talking about, you actually can't understand them if you don't have the Holy Spirit. So not only was it born from the Holy Spirit, but, but being able to even understand it comes from the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's very important for us. So when we think about today, one of the most common ways God speaks to us, I'm going to talk about how he speaks to us through the Bible. He talks to us through the word. But when we look at the word, I think it's easy for us to, to forget or to not acknowledge what exactly is happening when we read the Bible. When we look at this passage, what's clear is that if you're getting anything from the Bible, you're getting something from the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is trying to make clear here in this passage, that anything that's discerned from us, anything that we're getting from, from God's word is from the spirit. And for us to be able to understand that, it's by the spirit that we understand that. Okay, so let's get practical here, though. So when we read the Bible, how do we hear from the Holy Spirit? How do we engage from the Holy Spirit? Well, like from the first Corinthians chapter two passage, we see that in order to get the understanding, that comes from the Holy Spirit. Okay, one of the ways that I try to do this is I ask questions. Okay, whenever I read the Bible, I talk to God. I talk to the Holy Spirit and ask God questions about what I'm reading. What is it that's going on? What's happening here? 
Why is this going on? What's, what, what is this about? And I ask the Lord questions, and that gives God opportunity to lead and to speak. Okay? God is always available, always wanting to speak to us, especially through the word. But we need to give opportunity. And a lot of times he wants us to kind of speak with him and engage with him about the word. That's why Jesus, it's interesting, when, Jesus, when you look at the life of Jesus... He teaches a lot, and he speaks a lot. And in fact, when we look at the Bible, it's all the red-letter words, right? Where we hear what Jesus is speaking and how he's talking to us. But when you look at what Jesus is teaching, a lot of times he makes his message unclear. And in fact, he tells on certain times that he does this on purpose, that he talks in parables, that he talks about things that, well, the overall message is not very clear. In fact, the disciples come to him one day and ask him about that. He says, how come you talk in parables? How come the message is not plain? How come it's not clear what you're talking about? And it's interesting that right after they ask him that, he says, well, to you, because you've come to me, I'll tell you what it means. And he goes and he tells them the meaning of the parable that he had just got finished teaching. And then you start realizing, this is why. This is why he's teaching in parables. Because he wants us to come to him to understand the meaning. He's doing this intentionally. He's not doing it intentionally because he doesn't want us to know what God has to say. He's not doing it intentionally because he's trying to be hidden. He's not being intentional to try to do those type of things. He's doing it intentionally because he wants us to not lean on our own understanding. Oh, I know what this means. How many times have we read the Bible when we feel like that? Like we read it and we, have, we think, oh, I think I know what this means or da, 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 da. And sometimes that's from the Holy Spirit. So I don't want to discount that, even though we're not conscious of the Holy Spirit, even though we're not asking the Holy Spirit, I think still the Holy Spirit, by his grace, will reveal it to us and show us the meaning. But sometimes when we read it, I think sometimes it's coming from our own understanding. You know when this happens a lot? When this happens a lot is when you read a passage many, many, many times. I'm guilty of this too. Like you come across a passage and you've read that, I don't know how many times, especially if you grew up in church, like heard it in Sunday school, heard it in this message, heard it in, and you feel like, I kind of know this, right? I, ca- I, got, I got this one, right? So you're kind of reading the passage. I think a lot of times when that happens, then we're kind of going by our own understanding. What really surprises me, and it's interesting because I've started this kind of uh, kind of pattern, I guess you would say, for about six or seven years now, where I've kind of just stay one throughout the year, I read through the whole Bible, okay? So I'm on my fifth or sixth time just going through it year after year, year after year, the same passages over and over and over again. But you know what surprises me as I do that? I'm reading through passages. Obviously, I read it through it before. You know, I'm going through it again and again and again and again. So I know I've read it many times, but then I'll come across a passage and think, wow, I read this, right? I know I've read it, but have I really read this? Because it seems so new to me, right? And other passages that I've read so many times, Psalm 23, other verses, other passages that I've read so many, so many times, hundreds and hundreds of times. I'll read it, and then God will speak something new to me. And it just shows you that there's so much there in the Bible that God is speaking but you need to engage the Holy Spirit to do so. Another way that I do that is I try to imagine like these things actually happen. 
Okay, and that might sound kind of strange to you, right? But especially like in the Old Testament, right? When you read the Old Testament, you have to read the Bible like it actually happened. Like these things that we're reading are actually real. That these things are actually historical things that people have encountered that have been transcribed, that have made it throughout all of history, that is all of those things written down for our benefit. You have to read it like it really happened. Okay, what do I mean by that? How is that helpful for us? Okay, let's look at an example. Okay, um, well, I'm sorry, before we look at that, let me give you this, these two helpful terms to kind of help us as we look at it, okay? So it's the logos and the rhema. Okay, logos and rhema, both translated loosely, mean the word, the word of God, okay? But there's a slight difference between logos and rhema. Okay, logos is the objective word of God. Okay, so like when you open up your Bible and you read the text, that's the logos. Those are the printed words on the page. Those are God's words to us. That's the logos. Okay, the rhema is the word of God lived out in specific circumstances. Okay, let's look at an example. It'll make it a little more clear. Okay, so let's look at this example for the logos in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 24 says, uh, Therefore, everyone who hears this Jesus speaking, therefore, everyone who hears these words, logos, of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Okay, so in this passage, we look at the logos, right, which is the word. These are the words that Jesus is actually speaking. And he says, if you take these words, you're going to be like someone who builds his house on the rock. Okay, compare that to this passage in Mark 14, 72, that talks about the rhema. This is Peter after, after Jesus uh, got sentenced, uh, and then he was getting arrested. And then Jesus is out in, uh, the, Peter's out in the courtyard, and people are confronting him, saying, aren't you Jesus, one of Jesus' disciples? And then he denies Jesus three times. Okay, then we have verse 72. It says, immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word, rhema, Jesus has spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Notice the difference between this word and the word that we looked at in Matthew 7. What's the difference? Both are talking about the word, but the rhema is talking about the application of the word. When you live out the word, when God brings something to, to your memory about the word. That's the case here in 14, Mark 14, 72, that the Holy Spirit brought to mind the Logos, the word that Jesus spoke to him, brought it to mind in this specific situation that he's living out in real life. And that's kind of one of the key differences is that the Logos is talks about the word and the principles and the truth. The Rhema is the application of those things where God brings those things to mind in specific situations in our life. We see that here with Peter. Peter is just living his life. He's going through these difficult circumstances. And then God brings the Rhema which is remembering the truth and the word. This is what we talked about with the role of the Holy Spirit in John 14, which talks about what? Him being a counselor. He's a counselor that guides us and leads us and directs us in our everyday life. How does he do that? He reminds us of all the things that Jesus spoke to us. The rhema. The Holy Spirit's job is to bring the logos, the meaning, and the rhema. The application, we need both. When we read the God, when we read the word, remember the role of the Holy Spirit. 
in the Logos and the Rhema. It's both. It's both. Okay, so let's look at a couple examples of each one. Okay, so the first example is with the Logos. Okay, and what I said with some practical tips for that is to ask the Lord questions when you read the Bible. Another thing, which, which I mentioned before, is act like this is true. Okay, imagine like this is true. For example, let's look at this passage in Joshua chapter 2. Okay, Joshua chapter 2, the Israelites have come from the wilderness after going for 40 days, 40 days, I wish it was 40 days right for them, 40 years, they were there for 40 years in the wilderness. Okay, this is the second generation, 40 years in the wilderness, and they're going approaching the promised land for the second time. The first time, their parents' generation went there, they sent out the spies, and they came back with a report, and they were, because of fear, they couldn't receive what the Lord had for them. Because of fear, they couldn't receive it. So God gave another opportunity for the next generation to come. And the next generation, when they come to the land a second time, what do they do? Same thing. They send out spies again. Okay, so they send out, this time not 12, they only send out two. They sent out two spies to spy out this land um, in Canaan and specifically into Jericho. Okay, so they send out spies, a covert operation. They're going in and they're going in as spies. They're going in to look at and to kind of... Uh, Access the situation there in Jericho. Well, what do they do? They come across a prostitute. Okay, came across a, a prostitute's house, and her name is Rahab. Okay, so they're going as spies. They're entering in, and they're trying to get covert information from this prostitute. Okay, so again, you have to think this is actually real accorded history. You actually have to think, this actually happened. This is real account of things that actually happened. And try to picture these things happening. Try to picture two spies that are going out and, and going on this covert Mission Impossible kind of thing. They're trying to get this information. And where are they getting this information? They're trying to get information from a woman and then a prostitute. Okay, if you know anything about the Jewish society, that, that the women are already seen as kind of the bottom and I think I've shared before that so much so in the judicial system that a woman's testimony was no good. Like if a woman were to provide a witness and provide testimony, it was not accepted in a court of law. That's the kind of standing that the women were having in the, in the Jewish society. But yet, what are the spies doing? They go to a woman. Not only go to the woman, they're going to a woman who is in the profession of prostitution. Okay? They're going to this woman for help. And it's interesting, as you try to imagine what's happening here, they're going to this prostitute and asking for her help. Why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? Right? So these are the kind of questions that you need to have when you're reading the Bible. Why are they doing that? Okay? Then we look at this passage, uh, verses 12 to 15. Okay? So uh, this woman, Rahab, is talking to the two spies. It says, now then... Please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Okay, she, she hid them like on her rooftop. Okay, hid them by their rooftop. And then the king's men came in and then she diverted them and said that they had already left. And so they were running away. And then she says, because I've shown kindness to you, give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother my brothers and sister, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Verse 14, the, the spies reply, our lives 
for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. She let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Okay? When you read it, you might come across verse 15. So she let them down by the rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. What is that? That's like nothing, right? So you just kind of read it and you don't think anything of it. Think about this like it actually happened. Her house is in the city wall. Okay, if you're familiar with this story, what's going to happen to the city wall? What's going to happen when they implement this crazy battle plan that, that Jesus gives them, or God gives them? The wall is going to come tumbling down. Think about this happening. Her house is in the city wall. Okay, so after the spies go, they spend three times, they spend three days like hiding out in the mountains. Then after three days, they feel like the coast is clear. They go back to camp. They go tell Joshua everything that happened. And Joshua said, surely God has given us this city, right? So then they wait three more days. Then on the seventh day, they go and cross the Jordan. And when they cross the Jordan, then God gives them this ridiculous battle plan. What's the battle plan? Every day you're going to walk around the city. Okay, think about this happening. You're going into battle, right? You're trying to gear up. They're not raised as the army. They're not raised as soldiers. They were like, they're the kids of slaves, right? They're going into battle. God's giving them this ridiculous battle plan. They're going into the city. And he said, I want you to walk around the city one time. Then the next day, I want you to walk around the city again one time. And the next day, I want you to walk around the city again. What are you thinking when this is all happening? What are we doing? What is going on here? And then after six days of doing that, on the seventh day, walk around the city seven times. Okay, but this is where verse 15 starts coming into play here a little bit. Rahab's house is on the city wall. Guess who's seeing everything the Israelites doing on day one? Day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven. Rahab's watching the whole time. Her house is right there on the wall as they're walking around the circumference of the city, around the city wall. She's watching them. She's also probably wondering, what are you doing? You're supposed to be capturing the city. And when you capture the city, you're supposed to save me and my family. What in the world are you doing? When we imagine that these things actually happen, and we visualize it and picture it like this was actually true, because it is, we get a totally different insight of what's happening here. When we look at what's happening with Rahab, she's visualizing this. And what happens on the seventh day, if you're familiar with the story, they walk around seven times, and then they blow their horns and they shout, and then the walls come down. That doesn't make any sense. How is your blowing your horns and shouting going to make the walls fall down? Unless there's a God in heaven who is in complete control of everything, who is more powerful than, than you could ever think or imagine. Unless there's a God who is that great where you could have this kind of battle plan and he brings about that kind of destruction that their people inside are so afraid that they've already lost. Who sees that? The Israelites see that. Rahab sees that. Rahab sees that probably in a different way that the soldiers see that. 
She's in the house on that wall as it's coming down. I'm sure there are other houses in the walls too. I'm guessing her house is not the only one. What happens? I'm guessing all those houses are falling down. I'm imagining a picture of this whole wall and only her house is there. Can you think about that? The whole wall is coming down and only her house is remaining. Can you imagine what happens to her and her faith? Can you imagine how significant that is for her? Can you see what happens after this story? Can you see that after they take the land of Jericho, that they're true to their promise and they save Rahab and her family? Can you see that Rahab starts to go and travels with the Israelites? Did you know in the story that Israelite then marries, she marries someone from the Israelite community named Salmon. Okay, from, from Rahab and Salmon, become Boaz in her family line. Who is Boaz? He's the one who marries Ruth. What comes from Boaz and Ruth? That eventually becomes King David. Do you understand what happens when you really believe that this is true, the Bible is true, and that we should expect to see these things happen? When you actually visualize what happens and ask the Lord questions about how did this unfold? Do you see what comes out? That's the Logos. That's how you engage the Holy Spirit. That's how you engage the Holy Spirit with the Logos, with the meaning, with the truth. Then comes the rhema. Then you give God the, the kind of ammunition that he needs to start bringing the rhema. When the Holy Spirit can bring these things to remembrance when you need it when it's important for you, when God brings these different things to you. The analogy that uh, I like to use that's kind of powerful, powerful for me is fire and wood, okay? The rhema and logos are like fire and wood. The logos is the wood. You need the wood. You need the truth. You need the things that the Holy Spirit reveals through the Bible. You need the wood. You can't have fire without the wood. But if you have the wood and you have no fire, that's useless. The fire is the rhema. The fire is when God ignites the wood. And that's what the wood is there for. The wood isn't there to just stockpile and have a big pile of wood. Like, I know all this stuff about the Bible. This big pile of wood that I have. Right? I remember when we first moved into our house, our previous owners, they... Uh, they stored a lot of wood. And so like on the side of our house, we had this giant pile of wood. Okay, in our family, you know, we have a fireplace, but our family, we're not really kind of fireplace people. So we never used one log from that whole thing. Okay, then one day, like I look at this area and I'm like, okay, I need to clear this out because I want to use this for something else. Okay, this giant pile of wood. So I'm like taking out all this pile of wood. Can I tell you, I got freaked out because there's so much things growing in the wood, right? There's all these rodents, there's all these insects, and there's all these like things living in there. Why? Because wood is not just supposed to be there to accumulate and to just sit there. You're supposed to use it. Gotta use it. We need the fire and the wood. You gotta have the wood. 
you know, if you like try to start a barbecue and then you try to get the fire started, you know, sometimes I would like use a piece of paper, right? Because it, it ignites like crazy, right? Like you put it in there, it goes But like five seconds later, it's gone. That's when we try to have the Holy Spirit with no wood. It's not lasting. We need the fire and the wood. We need both. We need both the logos and the rhema. God has to use his word. We have to engage him. I was talking with a a friend this week, and he was sharing with me about uh, something he was struggling with. And so, again, it was just in his time with with God and just reading the logos, God was speaking to him through the word and talking to him about like this uh, hobby that he had was mountain biking, right? So I don't know if you've ever gone mountain biking. You know, I've had a little bit of experience, like really limited, but he loves mountain biking, right? And so he has this nice bike and then he buys all these like parts and accessories. And he was kind of just struggling because he was like, he told me, I'm spending a lot of money on mountain biking, right? Like I'm buying all these cool like toys or accessories or parts and like, He's having a lot of fun and he's like trying to find the balance like, I don't know, I just need to find some balance though between like enjoying this hobby, but then being a good steward, right? And he feels like, oh, I'm just spending so much money. And so um, the Lord is kind of speaking to him about that as he is reading the Bible, okay? So then he tells me how, uh, I don't know if it was that same day or the next day or something like soon after that, he went to go go ride. And he said, I just wanted to do like a really quick ride before work. And so he was out there in the morning and then he was uh, on the trail. Actually, the trail's by my house. So he, he, he was going this trail. And then when he was uh, started getting his bike uh, unloaded and getting ready, he saw this little boy there. Okay. And this little boy was talking, started talking to him. And then he was thinking, oh, I don't want to talk to this boy. I want to just hurry up and get my ride in so that I can get it in and then I can go back to work. Right. And so he was trying to like end this conversation, but the boy just kept talking and kept talking and kept talking and like he couldn't find a way out. And then eventually the boy started asking him, do you think I could ride with you? And he's like, no, I don't want him. I just want to go and I just want to enjoy my bike ride. I don't want to ride with this kid. But he kept asking and kept asking. And he's like, oh, don't you like need to be at school or something? He's like, oh, I'm homeschooled. So I, you know, have freedom that I could be able to do this. Like, all right, I guess I'm going to ride with this kid, right? So, like, he's going to ride with this kid, okay? And so he notices as they ride, this kid was, like, has his bike, but it was breaking down, right? In fact, he had to stop, like, several times because, like, different things were happening. And then as he got a closer look at this boy's bike, this bike was the same brand as his kid's bike. And his kid's bike is one that he wanted to sell. And he wanted to sell it, so he could buy more parts for his bike. So he wanted to sell his, his kid's bike, right? And that was the thought that he had. And so he's riding, and then he's riding with the kid, and he's watching him, like, struggle and struggle and struggle. And then you can guess what happens. The rhema. The Holy Spirit comes and speaks to him, saying, you need to give him the bike. You need to give him this, this newer almost brand new bike that the kids have hardly used. You need to give him that bike. He's like, I don't know. This seems kind of weird, Lord. I don't know about this. And you know how we can kind of talk ourselves out of these different situations, 
right? We rationalize and we think about these different things. But this is where we need to trust in the rhema. When God speaks, we need to listen. And so eventually he listened. Well, no, I, I take that back. So he, he left that situation. And I don't know why, but they had exchanged, like, information or something. So he had, he had the, the boy's number. He said, oh, I need to go talk with my wife. I guess get confirmation, <laughs> right? So he goes and talks to his wife, and he's talking to his wife and explaining the situation. And then halfway through, the wife said, oh, yeah, God told you to give, give this boy this bike, huh? He's like, yes, God told me to give this bike. And so he said, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to give it. But he said, how do I do this? Right? He's like, this boy is 13 years old. It's like, and my friend, he's 40, right? He's like, this is really strange as this 40-year-old man is going to call this kid, 13-year-old kid, and give him a brand new bike? Okay, so I think, again, the rhema is coming and bringing some wisdom, right, on how to do it, right? So not only did he prompt him what to do, he prompted him how to do it because this seems really strange for him to do. So what does he do? God gives him the idea to ask the boy if he could contact his parents. And so he does that. He asks the boy uh, what God put on his heart and if he could uh, actually talk with their parent. And so he ended up meeting with his dad. And so they kind of met for coffee one place. And then the dad was saying exactly what the Holy Spirit told him. Yeah, when my son told me that some 40-year-old guy was going to give him a bike, I thought something weird was going on. But I felt really encouraged the fact that you would come out and reach, reach to me because a strange, like, psycho person probably wouldn't do that. They wouldn't want to meet the parents, right? So I felt at ease. And so they had coffee together. And then when they had coffee together, the, the boy's father started sharing about, you know, the stuff he does and how he works for this mission, missions agency and how he has, he has another job, but his passion is is like doing missions and going and and uh, educating and doing different things like that and he finds out that my friend he's a pastor and so he gets really excited and he talks about how he has this uh, missions class that's going on that Sunday and he talks to my friend and again it's the rhema my friend said well I don't think this is an accident right I think I need to go even though on Sunday, like, kind of tired after, after service, but I felt like he wanted me to go. And then he looked up on the map where it is, two minutes from his house. Like, that, you can't make that stuff up, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> so he follows this situation, and then he goes to that class, and then he goes, and he sits in this class, and he's kind of skeptical. He's like, I don't know what I'm really going to get out of this class. And then the Lord speaks to him in this class, and he shows him, and just shows himself to, to my friend. And my friend is just going there saying, this was so good. This is the best class I've ever had on missions. And then God started speaking to him about missions in his own heart and for his own church. How did this happen? It's the fire and the wood. It's the logos. It's the rhema. You need both. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit speaks all the time to us. We need to recognize it. We need to get the wood. Some of you guys don't have the wood. That's why you don't have the fire. You need wood. 
You might have a little flash, like the piece of paper that goes up, and then boom, it's gone. You need the wood. You have to be in God's word. You need the wood. And when you're in the word, engage the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit questions. Imagine like these things actually are true because they are true. Imagine like these things could actually happen in your life because they can happen in your life. Ask the Lord these questions about the logos, and then he'll bring the rhema. He'll speak to you. He knows what's in your life. He knows what's on your heart. He knows the direction you need. He knows the guidance you need. He knows the healing you need. He knows the things that are important to you, the conflicts that are going on in your life. He knows all of those things. But just like when Jesus is speaking in parables, he wants us to come to him. Engage the Holy Spirit, the Logos, and the Rhema. Let's pray. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are living and active. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are God. You are God in a tangible way in our life. You're God who meets us just where we are. You're a God who re reveals yourself through your word. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you would just put that on our hearts. Help us to have the wood and have the wood be there present and have the fire come too. We need that. We need the rhema. We need your fire. We need the Holy Spirit to come and to bring your fire, your passion, and your life, and your heat, and your exuberance, and your adventure, and all the stuff that you only you can bring. We need that more, Lord. So Holy Spirit, we just give you permission to keep speaking that to us over and over and over and over again. In Jesus' name, amen.